I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce. As always, I'm joined by my equity mate, Alec the Ren Renahan. How are you going, bro? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, Bryce. I'm good. I actually had a thought as you were introducing me that people would probably think my name was Ren. Yeah, I know. That's why I threw That's... that in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we clarified that. <laughs> All right, here we are again with a learn to invest in 15 minutes or less. And our theme and topic for this episode is Warren Buffett's letter. Now, what does that mean? No, he didn't write us a letter during the week, although we have tried to reach out to him many times to come onto the show. And unfortunately, we've never heard back. Um, but we're going to be discussing Warren Buffett's letter. And for those of you who are unaware, it's one of the um, most highly awaited uh, releases from a fund manager every year and he releases a letter to his shareholders and pretty much explains in good detail and in very uh, descriptive language his decisions for the year and his view on the market and Renner's stays up till um, midnight <laughs> every year to wait for the release of this personally yep. from Warren. It's my Christmas, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's one of the first in the world to read it and yep, analyze it. it. I put a stocking out and yep. some milk and cookies, just like for Santa. Yeah, and he picks this thing <laughs> apart word by word, and then yep. now he's, is his time to shine with uh, a few <laughs> of the highlights from Warren Buffett's letter of 2018. So, yeah. I have well, two major takeaways, and I'm not sure what you have planned, Ren, but let's get stuck in. Yeah, before we start, if you're Googling it, it's actually his 2017 letter, although it was released in 2018. The second thing is, so these letters are, it's not just Warren who writes them, obviously he's the most famous for them, but if you're interested in investing, if you're interested in certain companies, it's a great resource to look out for. So, Jeff Bezos's letter, um, the head of Amazon uh, his letters have become quite famous. The, most fund managers will write a letter. Um, some won't be made public, but if you're a shareholder, you can get them. Otherwise, uh, just Google them and see if they are public because they are. They're really interesting. Getting different people's thoughts on the markets, or thoughts on business, or thoughts on whatever. And given Warren Buffett is the greatest capital allocator of all time, he's definitely someone we want to read. Yes, and get on the show. So, Warren, if you're listening, reach out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, why don't you kick us off? What was your uh, number one takeaway from Warren's 2017 letter? That he got a $29 billion kicker from the US tax cuts. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> nice, isn't it? How good's that? So, for those that are unaware, Trump recently decided to drop the corporate tax rate in the United States of America uh, down to 15%, I think it was. Is that right, Ren? Nah, not 15%. He wanted 20% and I think they landed at like 21 or something. 21, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. obviously his reasoning for doing so is that companies are going to be paying less tax and then hopefully they reinvest that back into the business or pay more wages or whatever it is. So uh, Buffett had $65 billion revenue generated from his uh, Berkshire Hathaway company last year, but... 20 Six, 65, 65 billion profit. Yes, but yeah. $29 billion of that was from... Uh, this US tax cut. So essentially that what he's saying is that uh, reduction in tax rate was resulted in, in him paying $29 billion less tax than he would have. So um, that's a nice little kicker and uh, one that I'm sure he will be reinvesting back into the business because that's very much his philosophy. So uh, that's what I'll kick off with, Ren. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah. 
Well, building off that, it's interesting to note that without that $29 billion tax cut benefit, it would have been, a, it's been a pretty quiet year for Warren and Berkshire Hathaway. And it's just interesting that it seems that when markets are really hot, people come out and start, you know, questioning Warren. Like it happened in the 80s when everyone was making heaps of money and he was sticking to value investing. It happened in the lead up to 2000 when everyone was making heaps of money from the tech boom. Uh, people started questioning Warren Buffett. And it seems that after a quiet year, people were, you know, not surprised, but, you know, he didn't have a, he didn't have a great year uh, in terms of the numbers and people are starting to whisper. But I think that might be just saying where we are in the cycle and uh, I don't think Warren is seeing a lot of value out there. And the reason that we can see that he's not seeing a lot of value out there is that he has $116 billion dollars in cash and short-term U.S. bonds, and that is just waiting for an opportunity to buy something. Oh, good. He's, he's actually looking oh. to make some massive purchase, isn't he? Yeah, but the thing is, like, he... People question whether he's the best investor of all time. No one, I think, can question that he's the most disciplined investor. Oh, 100%. His, his, his discipline to just wait yeah. and wait yeah. and wait until there's a good company that will comp that will compound every year and that is valued at a good price is pretty unbelievable. So this time last year, he had $86.4 billion in cash and treasuries waiting to be deployed, which would be burning a hole in your pocket if you had that much money. Mm. But rather than buying something, he waited and he added an another $30 billion to that pile. Yeah. Um, and everyone expects him to make a big splash, you know, with $116 billion, you could buy a Anything. massive company. Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. The, he's disciplined. He made a couple of massive purchases in Apple, and Apple is now his second largest holding. But what's also interesting with your discipline comment there, Ren, so he made one purchase. Uh, I can't honestly remember the time, but it was some point during last year. Um, and absolutely nailed the timing of that purchase. And after making that purchase, Apple's stocks just went on an absolute run and he made almost a billion dollar profit on, on what he bought. And then we had the 10% correction and the price obviously fell to a point where he was happy to buy in again. And so obviously off the back of that discipline thing, he was, he obviously waited, uh, for a price an entry point that he was happy with and he's bought in more. So it's interesting because I'm pretty sure at one stage he said he was never going to buy Apple. So Classic. Well, well, his thing is that he never buys tech stocks That's because right, he doesn't tech, understand yes. tech. But he obviously uh, he's it, getting a bit better, more of an understanding. Well, well, I think I think it's pretty fair to say that Apple is not so much a tech <laughs> stock anymore. You, you'd almost call it consumer discretionary. Yeah. Mm, oh, I mean, phones maybe consumer staples, but it's just like. You know, it is it is a it is a brand. It is a consumer product. All of their financials are then open to be analysed as just a company that sells, you know, a good or a service mm. rather than mm. a tech company where you have to understand and value the technology to understand the value of the company. So I think that's that's a why a lot of people suspect he is investing in Apple. He also invested in uh, IBM. I think it was last year and. Or a couple of years ago, and he sold it last year. Um, and IBM hasn't done that well, and so he's obviously dabbling in more and more tech-focused businesses. But Apple is a great example of the success he's had. But he hasn't had a clean track record. IBM was uh, 
I guess you'd call it a failure or a mistake, but you know, when you got 116 billion dollars in cash, you can uh, you can afford to have a have a punt and make some mistakes. Yeah. So one thing that stood out to me in his letter, um, off the back of that 165 billion in cash, is the fact that he's got no debt, and well, he makes a strong case that I haven't really heard him talk about before, and uh, it was all about not leveraging to buy stocks, and what that means is not borrowing money to increase your positions in stocks. So he showed a table that highlighted the four times in the history of Berkshire Hathaway that his stocks have been absolutely hammered um, and the value of his Berkshire shares were, you know, down upwards of 50%. And his reason for showing that uh, quote was, this table offers the strongest argument I can muster against ever using borrowed money to own stocks. He wrote, there is simply no telling how fast stocks can fall in a short period. Even if your borrowings are small and your positions are immediately threatened by the plunging market, your mind may well become rattled by scary headlines and breathless commentary, and an unsettled mind will not make good decisions. So he concluded the big drops are great opportunities uh, for those who are not loaded to the gills in debt. And obviously he's got $160 billion waiting for a bit of a drop to come. But I love this quote that he ended with this sort of commentary in his letter, and it's a passage by a guy called R Rudyard Kipling, some 19th century poem, but this is a clear example of how Buffett obviously thinks. He said, if you keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. So he's obviously just sitting there calmly waiting, 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 and he's just gonna blow this 160 billion when the time is right. That was a beautiful poetry reading. Mate. You, got a, you got a second career. In you. <laughs> Do you have any comments on that? On the poetry? <laughs> no, on the leveraging. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's a it's a good general rule. Don't take out debt when you don't need to. Like, obviously, well, I mean, we have friends that trade on margin, um, so they leverage their trades, and it's all good and well until they're wrong mm. and they have a margin call and the bank needs them to put more money in the account. Mm. I sleep a lot better at night just knowing that I've only invested my own money and not the bank's money as well. Yeah. Do you have um, anything to add, Ren? Yeah, two two quick last ones. I know we're, we're sticking to this 15 minutes. So <laughs> the first one, I just think, again, to comprehend how unbelievably successful he's been for such a long period of time, over the 53 years since Buffett took over Berkshire Hathaway, a failing textile mill, their per share book value has gone from $19 to $211,750. Phenomenal. And what that means is that it has been compounding at an average rate of 19.1% a year. So on average, every year, the company's value increases by almost 20% each and every year, which is just a phenomenal... Yeah. Uh, a phenomenal achievement over such a long period of time and that that's why he's considered the best just because you know paper a 53 year period has had that level of consistency i'll i'll back him in over uh, anyone who wants to argue for someone else and i guess speaking to that the last thing i wanted to mention was uh someone did bet against buffett uh there was someone there was a uh money management company that bet on that hedge funds could beat the index, the S&P 500 index. So Warren um, took the S&P 500, they put a million dollars on this bet. And what happened was 
Warren put a nominal amount of money in the index, and then this company could pick five fund of funds. So that's a fund of fund is a fund that then invests in multiple hedge funds. So they could pick five fund of funds to go up against the S&P. Warren smashed them. Uh, the S&P 500 index rose 125%. Uh, Warren won the million dollar bet and gave the money to charity. But look, it's just another example of how he's, he's very insightful and he's more often right than he is wrong. Wow, she killed it. Nice. So you included the letter in our thought starters on Monday that uh, we just had. So for those that want to get access to it, sign up to our thought starters on our website. And we've also got an archive up there potentially. Yep. www.equitymates.com slash thought starters. You can see all old editions and you can sign up so you get new editions direct to your inbox every Monday. So this is well worth having a look at this letter. It's only... 16 pages long or so, uh, usually they're about 30, so he obviously ran out of ink this year, but it, it's very easy to read, it's uh, very informative and gives you some great insight into how arguably the world's best investor thinks. So thanks for listening to this episode, uh, we hope you enjoyed it and tune in for our next one. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation.